Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 21, we're looking at the baptism of uh, Christ. Uh, this is part two to the sermon, The Son Revealed in Trinitarian Glory. We see the Trinity at work in Jesus' baptism. We see the Son being baptized, the Spirit resting upon Him, anointing Him as the Son of God. And then we have the Father speaking out of heaven, uh, revealing that uh, Christ, this is the Son of God whom God the Father is pleased. Luke chapter 3, starting verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are My beloved Son. With You I am well pleased. Father, help these words make sense to us. Help us value what You value. Lord, help us value Your Son. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I say this often. I think I said it last week. I want to say it again this week. The reason why we come together, the reason why we continually come back to the Scriptures, why we preach Christ crucified, why we preach the Gospel every week is because our whole life is lived by faith. When you trusted in Christ, you were saved. And by faith, you'll continually be in the process of being saved as God conforms you into the image of Christ. The moment you believe you're justified, it's done. It's as good as in heaven that your place is secured in Christ. But then sanctification begins to happen. Another aspect of your salvation where you actually become more like Christ. And the way you grow is through faith. Grace comes through faith. You will grow by the grace of God. And the only way you'll grow and become more like Christ is by trusting in Him. By clinging to Him. Paul said, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul's already a Christian. He's already saved. And he says, here's how I live. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You desperately need to hear preaching because you desperately need your faith strengthened. Your heart will either be falling away from the living God or trusting and knowing Him more. So, it's a good thing we're looking at the Gospel of Luke 
Because the purpose of this Gospel, if you remember back in Luke 1, is this. He says this right away in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And here's the reason. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The purpose of Luke in Acts is so that the this man, Theophilus, and anyone else who reads this compilation about Christ and His life and about the church after He ascended into heaven, so that you may have certainty. So every week, in a sense, we're going through Luke. The main drive is that you may have certainty concerning your faith. You can know a whole lot of things about Jesus, but if you don't trust that they're true and that He's real and that all these promises are yours, it will do you no good. Getting the test right, knowing the right answers to the test, does you no good unless your heart believes it's true. So we need Luke to remind us and to help us have certainty of who Christ is. Now already, we're only to chapter 3. Already, here's what we've learned. Here's the credentials that have already established irrefutably that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, your only hope. First, the account of John the Baptist's miraculous birth to an elderly, barren couple introduced as the forerunner prophesied by Isaiah. Second, the angel Gabriel announced to a young virgin named Mary that she was to be the mother of the Messiah. And then when Mary visited Elizabeth, her older relative, John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth filled with the, was filled with the Holy Spirit and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And her husband Zacharias was also filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied that John would be Jesus' forerunner. The angels who announced His birth to the shepherds testified that Jesus was Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And He had been born. The two righteous, godly individuals, Simeon and Anna, also added their testimony that Jesus was the Messiah, the One who would bring salvation to Israel. And now we look at the baptism of Christ where the Holy Spirit rests on Christ, anointing Him, saying this is the promised One. Already Luke has presented evidence that's irrefutable. This is the Christ. And today we're going to look at the Father who speaks 
the most plain words ever that opens mysteries upon mysteries. We're just going to glance into them this morning. And then next week, we're going to look at the genealogy of Christ linking Him to David and Abraham and Adam. And we're just at the beginning of the Gospel. We haven't even seen His mighty works yet. To have certainty that Christ is our Savior. To have the gift of this Gospel is beyond what we can imagine. My prayer is is that as you hear the Father speak in this text, that your faith would be strengthened. So, my prayer is that you will humble yourself, listen to the Father, and trust in His Son. Listen to the Father. Look at the end of verse 22. And a voice came out of heaven, You are My beloved Son. With You I am well pleased. Who's going to challenge God the Father's testimony? Who's going to challenge whether or not Jesus is the Son of God when God the Father says, this is My Son, with Him I am well pleased? I'm going to give you an assignment. This might be different than what how you might normally think of this, but this was helpful to me yesterday. I was just looking at kind of my favorite uh, sites that I have saved uh, in my internet browser. One of the ones I haven't looked at in probably over a year was the Hubble Telescope. So I clicked on that, takes you to the Hubble website, and there's a, a down bar you can click that says images. And all these images blow up. And you look at this nebulae of uh, colors that are more than colors. They like explode. It's the most beautiful art you've ever seen. This is out in space. And then you look at a spiral galaxy. You can look at it from the side angle. You can look at it straight on. And you read that This is 55 million light years away from us. And you go figure out what a light year is, and then your mind starts to explode as you can't imagine how far it is away. And yet, if you were close, you couldn't see its beauty. But you get that far away from it, and you see this beautiful spiral work of art of colors which is billions of stars in one galaxy, which is just one galaxy of billions of galaxies. And it just dawned on me that we couldn't even see the beauty of the glory of what the universe looked like unless you can get far enough away from it. So, the designer has to be so much above His creation in order to make the spiral. To make it look that way. And I look at it, 
And then I think that God spoke and said, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. And I thought, how dumb is it to go against the father's testimony? You look at what it would take to make the universe. His power, His beauty. And then to think, are we really, are we really going to go on our own away from what the Father says? Go to it. Look at it. Look at the beauty. Click on the pictures. You could spend all day. There's so many of them. And then ask yourself the question, do I want to listen to this God? Do I want to listen to see what He has to say? Who He points to? What He values? In Romans 3.4, Paul says, let God be true though everyone were a liar. There's only one who's totally truthful, God. Everyone, all of us, let's admit, we're liars. 1 John 5.9 says this, the New Testament's full of referring to God speaking about His Son, God the Father. 1 John 5.9 says this, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. If you believe in the Son, then you believe God. If you believe in the Son, you believe what God believes. You have the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Now when the Bible talks about eternal life, it doesn't just talk about life that goes on forever. It does mean that. But it talks about also eternal life in that the fullest life of the most joy, the most pleasure, the greatest life has been born to us by the Father and it's in His Son. And then that text ends with this, whoever has the Son has life, this eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's two people in the world. People who call God a liar and say life is found somewhere else and those who agree with the testimony of God and say eternal life is in the Son. In Acts 10.37, God's testimony is referred to by Peter as he's preaching. He says, you yourself know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He says, you know what happened when God anointed Jesus as the Father speaks and as the Holy Spirit rests on Him? The letter of Luke has two 
geographical uh, changes in it. Jesus' ministry begins in Galilee, and then in chapter 9, it switches to Judea as Christ heads towards Jerusalem, heads toward, toward the cross. And at the beginning of His Galilean ministry is the baptism of Jesus where God speaks out and says, this is My beloved Son. With Him, I am well pleased. And then as Jesus' ministry turns to Judea, three of the disciples go up with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration where God speaks again. The prophets speak to us as Christ fulfills all these prophecies. His miracles are going to testify to who He is. But God the Father doesn't keep quiet. He speaks up and He speaks audibly into the world to say, don't miss it. Don't miss your Savior. Don't miss the culmination of history. And here's how Peter refers to this in 2 Peter 1.16. If you have your Bibles, turn here with me. I'm showing you all these because I want you to see how the New Testament authors value the Father's testimony about Christ. 2 Peter 1.16 Peter says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. He says, Jesus is not a legend. He's not a myth that we tell these stories about like the Greek gods were. These aren't cleverly devised myths, he says, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Peter says, we got to see it. For when, when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him by majestic glory, this is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. He says we heard it. This is not a story. We saw Christ glow with glory. We heard the voice from heaven confirm who Christ is. And then he says this, which is, which is really interesting. He says, uh, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you'll do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. He says, I heard the actual voice come down from heaven saying, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. He says, but there's something more sure than that. Every prophet, they didn't just write what they wanted to write. The Holy Spirit carried them along as they made the prophecies. And the prophets were confirmed as Jesus Christ fulfilled 
all these prophecies. He could, in one sense, you got to take Peter's word for it. He said, I heard his word come down from heaven. There was three of them. Peter, James, and John got to go up there. And Elijah and Moses show up with them. But what about these hundreds of prophecies more in, in a sense? Look at this confirmation as all these prophecies are fulfilled in Christ. And then in John, you don't need to turn here, John 5.37, Jesus says, and the Father who sent me has borne witness about me. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, his, his voice you've never heard. His form you have never seen. And then in John 8.18, He says this, I am the one who bears witness about Myself and the Father who sent Me bears witness about Me. He says in your law there needs to be two witnesses. Jesus says, I'm here to bear witness about Myself and God the Father spoke. So what is God saying when He says this simple sentence? You are My beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. In a sense, a child can understand this sentence. It's that simple. But, in these words, He's pointing us back to prophecies from the Old Testament. And they're like tabs that open up. It's like, oh, here's a simple sentence. What, is it, what does He mean when He says, you are My beloved Son? Okay, a tab opens up to Psalm 2, verse 7, which the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 5, links to 2 Samuel uh, 7. Or I think it's 7 where uh, David is promised uh, that a king is going to come from his line and his kingdom will never come to an end. And then the second part, with you I am well pleased, he's pointing to Isaiah 42. So what does Isaiah 42 point to? And you go to these texts and you go to there, we could study for six months on Isaiah 42. All that's promised there. It's amazing what God says, what the Father says. You know, He knows how to... Nobody uses words better than God the Father <laughs> as He speaks in one sentence just uh, an eternity of mysteries. And we're just going to peek in to what it means that uh, Jesus is the Father's beloved Son. With You I am well pleased. So this brings us to point two. Point one is listen to the Father. Are you going to listen when the Father speaks? Or are you going to call Him a liar? Are you going to look, look at what He values? And second, submit to His Son the King. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With You, I am well pleased. This is an allusion to Psalm 2. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 
this psalm is pointed to by the New, Te- by New Testament authors as being attributed to Christ. And I told you that Hebrews 1.5 links Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7.12. Um, so as you're turning to Psalm 2, let me read the promise to David. Samuel says to David, Samuel the prophet says, when your days are fulfilled, you'll lie down with your fathers. I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name I'll establish His throne and His kingdom forever. I'll be to Him a father, and He shall be to me a son. So King David has promised there's going to be one from your line whose kingdom will never end. It'll never end. And this is linked to Psalm 2 that reads like this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. So get the picture. (laughs) Why are the nations these rebellious people that are raging against the Lord and the Lord's anointed one? Why are they in rebellion to Him? Here's what they say, verse 3. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The unbelieving world views God as this God who doesn't want good for them. This is the God the serpent tried to convince Adam and Eve of. That this God has these cords that are holding you down and are enslaving you. And what you need to do is cut away God from your life so you can be God. Why do the nations rage? Why do they want to free themselves from God and have their own rule? So as the earth, the rebellious heart, is saying this, here's what's happening in heaven. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He'll speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, as for me... Okay, so let's just get the picture. God in heaven, as He sees the rebellion of man on earth, He's not worried. He's pretty confident in His plan. He has a son, and His son is a king, and... Their rebellion is not going to defeat the son's rule. So he says, as for me, I've set my king in Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. 
Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Son. The picture is this. God promises David, you're going to have a son and his kingdom is going to spread to every corner of the earth. We're going to see in a moment, Isaiah talks about light shining in dark places. But here, this king's rule is going to spread all over the earth and his dominion is going to be forever. All of his enemies are going to be destroyed. Therefore, if you're smart, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. This is God's plan. This son. This is how justice is finally going to be brought to the earth through this one good king. Do we not want a leader who is just, that does rightly and is not selfish? Are we not a longing for the ruler who will finally get rid of all evil? The problem is, we're evil, right? So hopefully, this son isn't just a king that comes to destroy evil, but also can take away evil, take away our sin. And as we know, the Bible reveals Christ is also that son. And so, he points to the kingship of Christ, the promised son of David. Like I said, this is a book that we could open up and study for a long time. And yet, as the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son, that's what He's saying. As He says, beloved Son, it could be translated, my elected Son. The One whom I chose. This is my plan, He's saying. This is what I've always wanted to do. He's the One. This is the One that's going to bring peace. This is the One who's going to reveal who I am. Submit to His Son, the King. So when you think about following Christ, one of the things you have to have in your mind is He's a King. And when He showed up, He said the Kingdom of God is at hand. Saying the kingdom's showing up. And he gives us a glimpse of what it looks like. Every sick person that comes to Jesus gets healed. That's awesome. Every demon that's possessing a person gets cast out. The storm that's raging obeys the king. This ought to produce inside us the prayer, Thy kingdom come. You gave us a taste of it, Christ. Come back. Bring your rule. Bring your reign. Bring your justice. Bring your healing. But it ought to cause us to remember that we are not kings. And our kingdom will not last because the Son will destroy every other rule. Those who take refuge in the Son will be saved. They will get to reign with Christ in Christ's kingdom. 
So submit to His Son, the King. Third, serve Christ as Christ has served us. When the Father says, with Him I am well pleased, He is pointing us to Isaiah chapter 42. And if you've ever read the book of Isaiah, there's a lot of ups and downs. God's promising to judge Israel for their idolatry. But then He talks about a child that's going to be born. He will be called the Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor. There's going to be a Son who comes to save. And then they're told of other rulers that are going to come and destroy Israel, punish them for their idolatry. But then, starting in chapter 42, you start to get these what they call servant songs. There's four songs that begin to burst forth about this tender servant who's going to bring about God's salvation. And it seems like God the Father's pointing us to Isaiah 42. Now in order to, b- before we read Isaiah 42, I want us to understand what's just come before this. The two chapters before this, God is mocking all the, uh, all the idolatry in the land. All these other gods that His people are clinging to, He's trying to show how stupid it is that they trust in them. I'm just going to give you a taste of it. Look at Isaiah 41, verse 25. Just so we kind of get the flavor of what Isaiah is doing here. He says, I stirred up one from the north, and he has come from the rising of the sun, and he shall call upon my name, and he shall trample on rulers as on mortar, and as the potter treads the clay. He who declared it from the beginning that we might know, and beforehand that we might say, He is right. There is none that declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Zion, behold, here they are, and I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one among these, there is no counselor who when I ask gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion." Their works are as nothing. Their metal images as empty winds. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I predicted that Cyrus was going to come and rule over you. Which one of your gods predicted that? Which one of those gods said it beforehand? All your metal images, they're like empty wind. I'm the God who says it and it comes to pass. All throughout Isaiah, this is how God confirms that He is the living God. He tells us what's going to happen beforehand. And then we come into Isaiah 42 and we see the servant, God the Father saying, look at my son the King, and he's the servant of Isaiah 42 and 49 and 52 and 53. Here's what he says. Behold my servant whom I uphold. My chosen. There you see God's electing 
of Christ, eternally electing Him. In whom my soul delights, I put my Spirit upon Him. We already saw that in His baptism. He will bring forth justice to the nations. There's a servant coming that's going to bring justice to the nations. No longer will the abused be abused in secret. No longer will the oppressed widow be oppressed by those who have power and taken advantage of. Justice is coming. There's a servant coming that's going to bring justice. And we see in verse 2, the servant is gentle. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. All the people know is rulers who come and take advantage of the weak for their own advantage. That's the temptation of power. I have the influence. I have the power. And I'm going to use it against those who don't have the power. But this servant is going to come. And a bruised reed, the hurting, the poor, he's not going to break. A smoldering smoldering wick, the person who has no hope, the widow who has no hope, He's not going to put out that. This is a tender, gentle servant. We see this in a bunch of different places in Isaiah. Isaiah 11, uh, verse 4, "...but with righteousness He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth." The wicked, the proud, He's going to strike with the rod of iron though. In Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. I'm telling you, (laughs) the servant songs culminate in in Isaiah 61. What you should do this week is go to Isaiah 61 and say, I want to believe in the Son and believe that all these promises are coming true. This tender servant is going to come for those whom the world tramples on. That's why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.24, he says this, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. The Lord's servant must be like the Lord's servant, our example. Kind and gentle. The only time the Lord's servant mounts up with the rod of iron is against the proud. Those who reject God's rule and oppress other people. 
Then the servant comes and brings justice. He's a good king. And then we see in verse 4, the servant won't quit until his mission's accomplished. You know, you could think, what if God asked Jesus to bring this about, but he couldn't do it? Look at what we're told in verse 4. He will not grow faint or, or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. The coastlands means the end of the earth. He's not going to quit. He's going to bring it about. He's not going to get too tired. The servant is the covenant for the people. Look at verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out. That's all the Hubble telescope stuff I was telling you. Who spread out the earth and what comes from it. Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. He says this, I am the Lord. I have called you, speaking of Christ, in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. Not only is Jesus going to bring justice for you, not only is He going to come gently and in mercy, but He is the covenant for you. That's why when we take communion, we read Jesus' words when He says, He took the cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This is My blood, or this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When God says, this is My Son, He's saying, My promise to save you, rebellious, sinful, Israel, the Gentile world that doesn't know me. My covenant, my promise is in my Son. Literally, in His blood that's poured out for us. See what I mean? It's just like, this is unbelievable. One sentence that the Father speaks and yet so much. And then He says in verse 8, I am the Lord, that is My name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. God the Father says, I don't give my glory to anyone else. And yet Jesus in John 12 says, glorify the Son. And the Father speaks out again, the third time He speaks out, and He says, I have glorified it. God thunders from heaven. He says, you're glorious. You glorified my name. So if God the Father doesn't give His glory to anyone else, how can the Son be the glory of the Father? Because they're of the same essence. And that's what John teaches. They're Trinity. Jesus is God. God has spoken. He has pointed to Jesus. He is our hope. He is our King. All the promises to David have been fulfilled in Christ or will be fulfilled in Christ. And then he says, verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass. I've already 
told you things and they've already come to pass. I've proven I am God. And new things I now declare to you before they spring forth. I tell you of them. So 750 years before Jesus shows up, the prophet Isaiah is telling us about this servant that's going to come, this son. Psalm 2, a thousand years before Christ, is speaking of this son that's going to come from David. And now at Jesus' baptism, God says, it's arrived. He's here. This is the one. This is where eternal life is. This is your hope. It's with Him I am well pleased. It's the best news in the world because man has sinned against God. We have rebelled, so God must punish man. The only way man can be made right with God is if somehow there was a man who was born that God was pleased with and He could take your place and my place. Well, Jesus is your only hope and He's my only hope. He came to be a covenant in His blood. He is the way of salvation. He is the one that's going to make all things right. So three quick application points. Are actually, I skip uh, very, very important verses in, in Isaiah 42. Look at the end of verse 6. He says, A light for the nations. This servant will be a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from prison those who sit in darkness. So this servant, this, this servant, is actually going to be a light to the Gentile people, the people that don't know the Lord. He's going to shine. He's going to be those who are in this dark dungeon that don't know the way out. He's going to shine the light of salvation. So here's my three quick application points. Go. Jesus is going to accomplish His mission. He's going to shine His life to the ends of the earth which means the mission mission to take Christ's name to the ends of the earth will be accomplished. That's what God is about. That's what God's doing. There are people that don't know what the Father's like. They don't know what God's like. They don't know the way out of their sin. They're enslaved in their sin. And you know. Therefore, go. Tell them. Be courageous. Be confident. Send missionaries. Second, I want you to pray. If this is all true, go read Isaiah 61. If that's what's in store, ought we not pray every night, Lord Jesus, come? Ought He not be our hope? Ought we not spend way less time looking at which political candidate we think is going to bring salvation to the United States of America? And spend more time praying, Lord Jesus, come? Let's pray how any Christian ought to pray. And finally, let's trust in His Son. Let's really believe that our hope is bound up in Christ. Let's listen to the Father. And when the Father says, 
This is where fullness of joy is. This is where pleasures forevermore is. This is where eternal life is. Let's believe the Father. My prayer is, is that your faith is elevated as you see Christ proving to be the promised Son of God. Next week, we'll look at the genealogies that prove it. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much that we can have confidence that though the world looks like it's out of control, though our lives can feel out of control, that there is a light that shines leading the way to salvation. God, I'm so thankful that Christ shed His blood so that my sins can be forgiven. Father, help none of us, help none of us trust in anything else other than the person of Christ for salvation. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.